Hey, again, glad you guys are with us today. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm really excited about fall. Uh, I feel like with each change of the season comes a fresh start. Anybody else pumped about fall? Like, anybody here like your favorite season is fall? I always try to convince myself that it is, but I just love spring and summer so much. Anyway, uh, there's a fresh start to fall. Some people love to set goals, like new kind of New Year's resolutions for January. But for me, some of my best ideas and, and some of the fresh start that I like to experience maybe more than ever in the season is September. And maybe that's because I just, like, the whole school year changed for me growing up and that rhythm always started a brand new year. But September is a really exciting month for me. So I love to set new goals and dream big dreams. But if you're like me, uh, you like to start stuff and get really enthusiastic about it, but have a really hard time finishing. Anybody else a starter, but like you really have a hard time finishing? Yeah, uh, that's me. Um, so I can sometimes let my enthusiasm like get the best of me, and uh, and I, I can be I I can kind of overstep myself a little bit. Uh, I was reminded <laughs> at how easy it is for enthusiasm to drive things for a little while, but then have excuses take over after a little bit when things just get tough. I was reminded uh, of really like the <laughs> the consistent. This is kind of the big, the consistent culprit every year: January and the gym. Right when January comes around. Everyone wants to go to the gym because they want to work off all that holiday weight, right? We're, we're all there. We've all been there. But here's the stats, all right? Enthusiasm versus actual commitment. Uh, stats say that 80% of those who join a gym in January will not make it past five months. And even the first month or two, there's a significant percentage of people who will drop out after committing in January. Uh, their enthusiasm just doesn't carry them far enough and excuses start taking over. Only 50% actually go to the gym regularly, those who have a membership, and that's like two days a week. Now, stats will, will, will also say that if you actually want to make a difference physically in your body, you got to go three or four times a week. So people aren't going enough to really make a difference physically. Uh, and then gym owners have actually come to realize uh, that people largely don't use their memberships, and so they build it into their budgets and their expectations. Uh, they, they, they expect that only 18% of their members are actually going to use the gym. So in order to stay profitable, gyms actually have to have 10 times the amount of people sign up for membership uh, that they can actually fit inside their gym at one time. That's how many excuses will take over for people to not actually use the gym. Now, uh, for some of you, you know that I've been struggling a little bit with uh, my mouth recently, and I've been making some excuses, all right? I had my wisdom teeth taken out about a month ago, and there's been some wacky complications with it ever since, including some infection. I dislocated my jaw at one point. Uh, I even had to have, like, minor surgery just this past Friday, so I probably should even be talking to you right now, but here I am. Um, so anyway, I was making some excuses because there's only so long that you can eat like baby food, everything pureed, like pureed burger doesn't really taste all that good, just heads up for you guys. Uh, but there's only so far that can go. So my excuse was this, I need me some milkshakes. <laughs> you know, like if I can't eat real food, at least I'm going to get me some milkshakes. Guys, there's no good excuse for milkshakes, okay? None. But that was my excuse. What's your excuse? Now, for those of you who are excuse masters, I wanted to just like beef up your arsenal a little bit. I went to a website that, that majored in excuse making. So just in case you want a good excuse, here's uh, what you can use going to a variety of environments this week. Okay, if you don't want to go to work, check out this one. Ready? This is what it said. Uh, I can't come to work today because I forgot my car at home. Yeah, that'll work. 
all right? Uh, look, if you're a school-age kid and you want to get out of school for the week, this is a great one. Uh, while I was walking to school, my shoes fell apart. I went back home to see if I had any more. I didn't, and my mom wouldn't let me leave the house without any shoes on. That's great. Your teacher will totally buy that. It's really great. All right, for dieting, okay? This is probably what I was leaning on. Foods that are frozen have no calories because calories are units of heat. Example, ice cream, frozen pies, popsicles, all right? (laughs) Solid. All right, this is my last one. If you want to avoid a party, like someone invited you to go to something, you just did not want to go at all. You're trying to come up with legitimate excuses. This is for the husbands in the room. Uh, I can't make it because my wife was scheduled to conceive a child today. Boom, drop that one. All right, that's a little awkward, but uh, I've only made that mistake four times. Anyway, um, if we're not careful, here's here's the reality. This is why I'm bringing all this up. Some of you are like, where in the world is he going with all of this? If we're not careful, our enthusiasm in the faith realm will substitute for actual commitment to Jesus. And before we know it, we say that we want to be all about God and we want to follow him, but in our hearts, we're not really sure we're all there. And if we're not careful, we've made a lot of different excuses, even in the faith realm, of avoiding certain things that are good for us, things that lead to abundant life, but we just decided we're not ready for that. I'm telling you, the first two and a half weeks of me dealing with this whole surgery thing, I was convincing myself that sleep was better than waking up and spending time with God before the workday started. You know what happened? I became grouchy, grumpy, started getting short with people, and I realized my time with God was actually more valuable than even my sleep. But we make excuses. What's your excuse? Are you all in with God, or have you hedged your bets? So here's here's where we're going to go today. How do we eliminate excuses? How do we really go from a good intention to a God intention? A good intention being enthusiasm only to a God intention meaning uh, commitment and obedience and action. That's where he wants to lead us today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to continue through Matthew. We've been picking apart piece by piece by piece through this gospel because we want to lead people to Jesus. our, Our whole goal as a church is to help our friends and our neighbors know and follow Jesus and try to eliminate all barriers for him doing so. So we want to work piece by piece through the gospel of Matthew. Let them know this is what Jesus is really all about. Now, what we've been discovering is that Jesus has been saying things and doing things in ways that nobody's ever seen before back in the first century. If you think they were gullible people, they weren't. They were just like us. And so when he's teaching with authority... He's speaking with a level of inspiration that nobody has seen or encountered before. And he's backing it up. He's going around and actually physically healing people in ways like where lame people who can't walk at all, they're starting to walk. People who can't see, they're blind, like they're actually starting to see. And so crowds are jumping in. They're like, I want to follow this Jesus guy. Now, here's what's so fascinating. (laughs) Jesus is not content with fans people who just jump in and become a fan of Jesus. He wants followers. And we're going to watch him actually create a fork in the road for people to try to decide which camp are you in. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 18, and we're going to read through 22. So here we go. When Jesus saw the crowd, again, people are flocking all around and they're crowding around him. He gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. 
Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. All right, kind of extreme stuff in there. Where's Jesus going with this? This is what I love about Jesus. He just doesn't play any games. Uh, If you're like me and probably a lot of other church leaders around the country, if you got crowds that are flocking to gather around you, like you don't do what Jesus does here. Most people, like they take the crowds and what they do is they build a big building. They'd, you know, they'd set up all sorts of, you know, capital campaigns to make sure it's super impressive and keep all those people and let's build it. Let's multiply it. Let's get about as big as it possibly can. Jesus, what's he do? He says, hey, I'm looking at the crowd right now. Let's go across the lake. Let's, let's get away from here. See, Jesus isn't about crowds. He's about a choice. He doesn't want us to just get into something just for the hype of it all. He's actually presenting a choice for all of us. Are you in or are you not? Now, like for some of us here, like we like baseball. Anybody baseball fans in the house today? There's some of us in this room that think baseball is incredibly boring. Anybody really honest about that? Yeah, we got a couple of people that are like, baseball is super boring. Like if you were to turn your TV on today and just watch baseball, like you probably fall asleep this afternoon. That's you, okay? But if someone invited you to go to Fenway Park, you might change your mind a little bit. Because I'm telling, <laughs> all right, we got a Yankees fan in the house today. I know that's not true. All right, uh, maybe that, look, you, you can pray for this guy and if you're watching online, all right? Anyway, um, Fenway Park is different. There's hype. You get into that stadium, especially when they're playing the Yankees. And I'm telling you, that place is lit. You know, there's energy. And whether you like the game of baseball or not, you want to be in that crowd. But would you still watch the game if there was nobody in the crowd? Jesus is asking you right now, if there's nobody even sitting in the seats here this morning, if you were the only one, would you still show up? What does Jesus mean to you personally? Beyond the hype, beyond the energy of a crowd or a community that is all hyped up, like, are you still in with Jesus, even if he was to remove everything, uh, any kind of hype? Are you all in? Jesus, what he does is he takes people on a journey. And he goes across the lake and he says, I want you to take a next step in your commitment to me, not just for the crowd's sake, but for my sake. I'll never forget it. Uh, Our second vision night that we had as a church, it was a crazy one. Um, (laughs) We we decided to build relationships in our city and help people understand uh, what we were all about even before we launched on Sunday mornings. And so our first vision night that we had, we had about 20 people or so. And man, we were so excited. We we felt some energy in that room. We're like, man, we're, we're ready to roll. Second vision night, we're gonna to have maybe 40 to 50 people in that room. This is going to be great. We showed up at that second vision night. <laughs> Guess how many people we had? Four. And one of them was an older lady that would not stop talking the whole time. And another one was a, uh, a mentally unstable young boy who put his headphones in every time I started talking. And another couple. And I'll never forget it. In that moment, everything inside of me was tempted to just call it quits, be like, I'm not in this anymore. Uh, We're we're gonna postpone this night and try to beef up the next vision night so we can go ahead and go after that. But I'll never forget what God said to me in that moment. He said, man, if you quit right now, you're gonna quit a thousand times down the road. You go all in and you share the vision that I've given you for this church and what God wants to do right here in the broader area of Nashua is if a thousand people were in that room, 
And so I did. Crazy headphone kid and uh, nonstop talking older lady and all, man, I gave it all I had. I'll never forget it. It was like God said, I want you to put a stake in the ground and I want you to, to show your commitment regardless of where this thing turns. Are you all in? Are you a follower or are you a fan? You've got to ask yourself, why are you here this morning? Are you here to kind of check off the religious box? Maybe like God sees that box somewhere and he's going to bless you someday? Are you, are you here just because of your friends? Are you here to maybe just make, you feel, make, make yourself feel a little bit better? Look, I mean, look, I mean, I have to be honest as a pastor, like I, I'm tempted every single Sunday to give people what they want to hear. I have to follow Jesus. We have to give people what they need to hear. And that's not exactly going to win me a lot of friends. But Jesus is asking, are you a fan or are you a real follower? Are you going to consume or are you going to actually pay the cost? He's not about a crowd. He's about a choice. Now, here's the interesting thing. Along the way, Jesus encounters someone who did go to the other side of the lake. He did go to the other side. And this is what he said. You ready? He said, then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Man, it sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds like commitment. It sounds like enthusiasm. This guy's like, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Now, we learned something about this guy. It says that he's a teacher of the law. In some of your translations, it might say a scribe. What's a scribe? Uh, a scribe was, was someone in the first century who is a master of the Old Testament. He knew it inside. He knew it outside. He knew every little bit of it. Not only could he articulate what was happening inside the law, the Hebrew Bible, uh, which, but he probably memorized at least the first five books. We're talking Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He probably had the entire thing memorized. Now, it wasn't just that he was a religious elite guy. He was probably of higher academia at that point. People looked at this guy and had deep respect for him. He had status. He had opportunity. He had privilege. I mean, we might be able to link him up with Harvard law grads of our day. And when you have that kind of status, you have that kind of higher academia, you've got all sorts of doors of opportunity to you. You've got connections to people that are going to help advance whatever you want to do in life. You've got, I mean, all sorts of really great things. You know, like if, if any one of us in this room were a Harvard law grad, we'd say, man, the sky's the limit in where you could go in life. That's probably where this guy is, but Jesus calls him out. <laughs> do you catch that? He calls him out because what he sees in there is a misguided motivation. You're not in this for the right reasons, dude. What does he say? Jesus said, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, he's saying, look, if you're following me, you're not going to get all the perks and the accolades. I'm homeless. Are you willing to follow me there? I don't know about you guys, but homelessness doesn't sound a whole lot of good. Like, I'm not excited to go wake up in a tent somewhere. Now, Jesus didn't do that. He stayed at a lot of different homes, but it wasn't his home. He had to stay mobile so that he could tell everybody this good news. And so he didn't own anything. The author of existence had no home of his own. And he's looking at this guy and saying, look, I know you're a scribe, but you probably want to have a reputation linked with me because you're seeing all these crowds. And you want uh, backstage passes to my speaking gigs. You want your reputation to be linked up with a reputation that's going to get you places. You're looking for all the benefits without actually the cost. And he's saying, here's the cost. Would you be willing to follow me into homelessness? 
That's a high cost. Some of us in this room, we want perks without a cost. (laughs) When was the last time you counted the cost of actually following Jesus and was willing to buy into that and actually make changes in your life? Again, God's not looking for good intentions. He's looking for God intentions. Not just enthusiasm about your faith, but actual life change differences. He's looking for your life to be different. Now, here's the the other thing about academia. Uh, We love to talk about Bible studies in the church world. And, and people, I've been here. We love to talk about just feeding on information. Like we like studying and, you know, gleaning over what this, this book has to say. But there's a danger in reducing your faith to a whole bunch of academia or knowledge or information. Jesus isn't looking for information. He's looking for application. He says, don't just be hearers of the word. He's like, be doers of it. Do something with this. He's looking for transformation, not just knowledge. And here's what we do with knowledge. You ready? (laughs) When we look at the Bible and God as if he's just an information bin where we get a whole bunch of knowledge about life and about the world, it's like we like to analyze it and take it into consideration. Right? Man, that's, that's some good stuff. I feel convicted about that. You know what? I'm going to take that into consideration, God. Thanks a lot. Um, we'll see how that works, if, if at all, this week. It's almost like we treat God as a consultant, you know? God was never meant to be a consultant. In fact, Pastor Larry Osborne put it this way. God doesn't do consulting. He never has. He never will. He does God. When we treat him as a consultant, he simply, he simply stops showing up for the meetings. <laughs> he doesn't follow our purposes for our life the way that we want for our life. He's God, and he's inviting us to participate in what he's doing in this world. He speaks with authority. He says, I want you to follow me. I'm not here to follow you and make your life better. I'm here so that you can follow me and, and experience radical life change. That's what Jesus is all about. Notice how he spoke to his disciples when he went to go cross the lake. You see that? Did you catch that? In that first verse, in in verse 18, he's about to cross the lake. He doesn't, this is not what he says, ready? He doesn't say, hey guys, I was thinking about going across the lake. Um, There's some cool stuff on the other side, but you know, like if you don't want to, that's okay. But I was thinking, man, it might be kind of a cool trip across the lake. You think maybe we might be able to go across? What does he say? When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he what? He gave orders. Jesus isn't playing games, guys. He's the author of existence. He's got authority. And when he says, let's go, man, we got to go. We got to follow him wherever he leads. And he's looking at this scribe and saying, are you willing to go wherever I call you to go? Wherever. Uh, I, came across this, uh, I came across this story, um, two missionaries, uh, Adoniram and Ann Judson. Uh, this is way back in the day, so uh, this goes way before our time. Uh, but these, these two were known for their work overseas in an area that we call Myanmar, back then Burma. Now, Adoniram was checking out this girl, Ann, and apparently liked what he saw, but he had an interesting letter to her parents when he wanted to propose to her. Uh, (laughs) I dare you guys, if you want to propose to a girl, to write a letter like this. Ready? This is how he asked for permission. I got to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. They were in England. 
whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps even a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly throne and died for her and for you for the sake of perishing immortal souls, those who have yet to embrace Jesus Jesus as their Lord and their Savior for the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Could you consent to all of this in a hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness? <laughs> Would you write a letter like that to your future father-in-law? Adoniram did because he counted the cost. You know what the father said? Ah, it's her choice, whatever she wants to do. <laughs> for real, that's what he said. Uh, and then so this is what she said. She wrote this to one of her friends. I feel willing and expect if nothing in providence, meaning God and God's, God's ways, his purposes, if nothing in providence prevents to spend my days in this world in heathen lands. You know, this la- when was the last time you called your coworkers heathens? All right, I don't recommend that. Uh, it's just people who have yet to know Jesus yet. I expect to end my days in this world in heathen lands. Yes, Lydia, I have about come to the determination to give up all of my comforts and enjoyments here. Sacrifice my affection to relatives and friends and go where God and his providence shall see fit to place me. You know what happened? They went to Burma and it wasn't long before Adoniram was imprisoned and and brutally treated. For months he was wasting away in this prison while she was actually uh, pregnant. And only at the very end when she was about to give birth would they let him out for a brief period just to help her out. After she gave birth, she actually ended up dying at the age of 37. It was a brutal existence in Burma, but as a result, not only did the Burmese people receive the Bible translated in their own language, but the gospel movement exploded. Today, over 3,700 churches are in that area and a direct result of their sacrifice, hundreds of thousands of people who have given their lives to know Jesus Christ and to make a difference in their country. All because two people said yes to Jesus. They said, yes, we're willing to go wherever you send us because where you send us is life. We'll follow you wherever you go. Saying yes to Jesus means we're going to have to go places that are uncomfortable for us. And for some of us in this room, he's not asking you to go to Myanmar or into the 1040 window where uh, it is hostile to the gospel at best. He's asking you to just go across the room in your workplace to say hi to a neighbor. He's asking you to maybe knock on a neighbor's door. Maybe he's asking you to invest in the school where you drop your kids off. He's just asking for little comforts to be forsaken so that you can experience more of his love for you and spread his radical love to the people around you. Would you be willing to say yes if he asked you to go? We've shared this before with you guys, but uh, we had a really hard time trying to decide uh, where to send our little girl Eden off to school. Uh, We homeschooled her last year because we just weren't willing to give her up for an entire day. Nashville doesn't have any half-day programs. Uh, And we struggled with sending her to the elementary school just down the street. Uh, Again, Dr. Crisp uh, is a school that we've been pouring a lot into with school supplies, backpacks, Christmas presents, all sorts of things because we care about it. 80% of the kids at least are under the poverty line. And so we as a church want to make a difference there. And yet I was struggling sending my girl there because it ranks 244th in the state. It ranks four out of 10 on the academic scale. 
She would be a minority at best at that school. A lot of kids don't speak her language. And I'm struggling with all of that. And then my wife and I meet this pastor from D.C. on a a trip last year uh, who said that his church, his church plant was investing in a local school that was one of the worst in his district as well. And it was really hurting. And they were struggling with whether or not to send their kids there as well. And he said, God whispered to him in that moment, he said, you want to make a difference in the real problems of your city. But they're not problems, they're not real problems anyway, until they become your problem. And it blew our worldview up. And in that moment, we heard God whisper, I want you to send your girl there. Because the problems in this city are never going to be real problems until it's your problem. Are you willing to go where God is asking you to go? And you know, it's the best thing that we could ever do to our little girl Eden because she now gets to experience the joy of participating in what God wants to do in that school as well. Why would we rob her of that? Why would we rob ourselves? And so we're really excited, and we believe God's going to do some really cool things there. But in order to say yes to God, we've got to be able to say no to certain things. Jesus looked at this man, and he basically said, you've got to say no to the accolades. You've got to say no to the perks of all this. You've got to be willing to go without, even to go without a home in order to follow me and to be mobile and let people know about this hope that they have in Jesus. Are you willing to say no to all those things in order to say yes to me? Some of us, man, we need to say no to a higher standard of living so that we can give more of our resources to the rescue mission. Some of us, we've got to say no to sleeping with our boyfriend because it's holding us back from the mission that God wants to do in your life and through you to the lives of others. Some of you, you've got to start saying no to pornography. Others of you, like, you've got to start, stop, start saying no to, to just consuming and comfort. I mean, you're watching so much TV at night that you don't make room in your life for other people getting involved in their groups or sharing your, your life with them, getting real about them, or maybe even inviting some people who don't think, believe, or act as you do. Jesus is inviting us to get uncomfortable. And only in that are we going to experience the life that he is offering us. Are you willing to go where he's asking you to go? I love this. Had to share it. One of my heroes, Bob Goff, does something crazy every single week. Every Thursday, he quits something. Just something. We don't know exactly what he does, but every Thursday, he decides, I'm going to quit something this week. And not only that, he cuts out the left pants pocket out of every one of his pants. <laughs> Weird, right? If I did that, like, I'd probably have no car because I'd have no keys. Uh, they'd, they'd just be completely gone, or I'd have no phone or anything like that. But here's his point. There are some things that are worth holding on to. And there's some things that are just not. And every week I've got to reprioritize my life to figure out what's most important and how do I let go of the things I need to let go of in order to say yes to the things God's leading me to do. What's that look like? Are you willing to go anywhere that God's calling you to go? Now, there was one more disciple in this story that encounters Jesus. And this guy looks like he's all in, okay? Uh, this is, by, by, by the way, this is kind of a side note. Uh, anybody who comes up to Jesus throughout the Gospels and calls him teacher, you know that he's, he's not really ready yet to follow Jesus. <laughs> you, check it out. All throughout the Gospels, anyone who says, hey, teacher, treats Jesus more as information and a consultant rather than someone he's actually going to be following, rather than an authority. This next guy changes a little bit, but is not quite there yet. The next guy says this. Then another disciple looked at him and said, Lord, 
first let me go and bury my father. And at first, like we look at it, we said, Lord, okay, that's a great step. He's recognizing that Jesus isn't just a teacher. There's something divine about this guy. Yes, he's got authority, but notice what he does. Lord, first let me go and bury my father. I believe you are who you say you are, but I'm not there yet. Now, we might think this is extreme, what Jesus says and how he responds to him. Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. What? This guy wants to bury his dad, Jesus. Isn't that a little extreme? I mean, look, I'm all about Jesus, but man, if he's calling me to let go of my, my dad who's about to die, forget it. Now, here's the crazy thing, okay? We have to jump back into the, in the first century to really understand what was going on here. It's probable and maybe even likely that this guy's dad wasn't even dead. It was probable and likely that he was full of health and what this guy was essentially saying to Jesus was, hey, uh, I need to wait until my dad dies because once he dies, I'm going to get all sorts of different perks. See, this is what happened in the first century. The family was a source of a lot of really good things. We didn't have, they didn't have a variety of access to jobs. You often uh, got the job that your dad had. And so when he died, you'd take over the family business. And so you'd have job security. Not only that, you had social status in the community. And so if you were a good family member, you had consistent family status in the community. You probably had really great financial security because when the dad died, there was an inheritance that you would get. And so what he's looking at Jesus and saying is, hey, I've got some stuff that's coming to me. Let's just just wait till after that. Now, even in the first century, there was a religious excuse for this. Uh, in uh, Mishnah Barakoth 3.1, uh, it basically gave people an out just in case their family member was about to die. Like it would excuse them for all religious duties and services. Like, okay, why don't you go take, take care of that for a while? Uh, you know, however long it takes, you, you're just excused from religious duties. And even priests, like if there was some, some kind of messy in all of that with dead people, like if you're around dead people, you're excused from religious duties. And Jesus is saying, I'm not letting you off the hook. Just because you're waiting for certain things to happen in your life does not mean you can wait to follow Jesus. Some of us right now are operating with the same kind of thought. Jesus, I recognize that you are the author of existence, but let me first take care of this. I'm willing to go all in at some point, but hang on a second. I got to get out of debt first and maybe get my house before I'm willing to contribute financially to what you're doing in this world. Jesus said, man, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. He's asking you, man, I want you to step in now. Now, not just yet, because I, I got to find that girlfriend and get stable and make sure that I land in the right place. I'll follow you at some point, God, but not right now. I got to finish my education before I start following you, Jesus. I got to locate the right area of the country that I want to be in before I follow you, Jesus. I got to get my kids all set up in the school and their kids' activities. I got to be a slave to my kids for a little bit before I'm really willing to go all in with you, Jesus. Just not right now. What's your excuse? I wouldn't be a faithful pastor if I didn't ask you that question. Because I had to ask myself that question this week too. And I'm telling you what, I let my health issues over the past month hold me back sometimes. There were some moments where uh, other neighbors across the street from us were going through some really hard times. In fact, some own surgical complications. And I would just kind of blame it on the fact that 
I'm going through my own health issues. I can't go over there and, and help them. Man, I tell you what, God called me out on it. And even though I wasn't healed at all by any means in what was healing right here, like I felt like he was like, you need to go over there and say hi to them. You need to pray for them. You need to make them a meal. What's your excuse? Delayed obedience is disobedience. Every time. Parents, you can take that one home, okay? <laughs> when you're like, hey, kids, <laughs> clean up your dishes. Delayed obedience is disobedience. That's just true. Look at what Jesus' first followers did when he first invited them to follow him. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22, he looked at, the, the math, or he looked at Peter and James and John, and he said, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And it, it doesn't say they, they eventually followed him, or they did so after a while, or once they took care of their nets, they followed him. No, it says at once they left their nets and followed him. And a couple crew later, Jesus called different people and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus is not asking you to do it someday. He's asking you to do it right now. I'm having these conversations with a buddy of mine at Starbucks who keeps telling me he likes Jesus more and more. He's maybe gonna get there, but he hasn't had that light up moment in his life. He hasn't been given the gift of faith, he says. And so I don't know that I'm there yet. I might do it at some point. And I'm telling you, if you're gonna wait, you're gonna be filled with a land of regrets. Jesus isn't asking you to wait until it's all clear. He's asking you to take that step now. What are you waiting for? A lot of us can just Live as though God can wait. I'll do it tomorrow. But I heard this from one pastor who said the land of tomorrow is where you find divorce, addiction, and unmanageable debt. In the land of tomorrow, you'll find unfaithful spouses and prodigal children. Fans wait for tomorrow. Followers obey today. I mean, what's that look like for you? What's obedience look like? I mean, we live in a culture right now where FOMO is a big thing. <laughs> you know, like I just I got a fear of missing out. So I got to keep all my options open just in case. Just in case a better option comes up. And I'm telling you, this is what it kills the mission of God through the local church today. So many people just keep their options open. And yeah, I might come to church. I might not come to church. I might go to group. I might not go to group. God wants to do something special through us here in Nashua. He wants to do something special in your group, and it's not going to happen if we're not all in with what God wants to do. But our fear of missing out sometimes just leads us to do anything but what God wants to do here. He wants to do something special, guys. And Jesus says, follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. Do you know what he meant by that? What can dead people do? Not a whole lot, right? When was the last time you saw a dead person go do something? <laughs> I mean, except for Jesus, right? I was saying, could, could, could pull that card. Like, Jesus died. He did something cool. Look, dead people can't do anything. And so he's not actually asking a dead person to go bury another dead person. What he's saying is something spiritual. He's saying, when you refuse to follow me and you wait for tomorrow, you know what happens? Something spiritually dead happens on the inside of us. We start dying spiritually on the inside. When we delay our obedience, death starts taking place on the inside. You want life? Obey now. That's what he's asking for. Let the dead bury their own dead. Let the people who want nothing to do with God, let them continue down that path. You, I want you alive. Follow me now. And the crazy thing is some of us in this room, you don't think that God's equipped you to be able to really do what he's asking you to do. I promise you right now, you're not adequate for the job. But he is. And when you take 
all he wants is a yes. All he wants you to do is step in and say yes. I'm telling you right now, when you, when you give God a yes, he will supply everything else. It doesn't matter how equipped you feel. Quick story for you guys. This past week, uh, I, I, I rolled into a coffee shop and uh, like a magical moment happened, all right? Uh, I pulled my car in. As I walked out of the car, this golden opportunity happened in front of me. There was a dollar bill that was all by itself in the middle of the parking lot. And at that moment, you like, you look around and like, man, is there anybody here? Nobody. It was like a ghost town. I'm like, sweet. You know, this is my dollar bill. I'm going to do something special with this. Yeah, and some of you are like, all right, big deal, Pastor Scott. It was a special dollar bill to me, okay? Anyway, I, I went to the coffee shop, finished with that. I was out at the street kind of talking to somebody and about to get in my car to go home. And as I'm in the car, I see this young couple walking down the street. It, was, it wasn't a couple, actually. It was a mom and a son. And it clearly was distraught. You know, she was all upset what sounded like a relationship that had gone seriously bad, and she's talking to this person on the other end of the phone, just a mess. And this little boy is asking, Mommy, Mommy, and she's like, no, no, stop. And just clearly there was something wrong about all of that. And then another magical thing happens. The ice cream truck started driving in the opposite direction towards them, and you know, like any good little boy, he starts flipping out. Okay? He's like, Mommy, Mommy, I need the ice cream right now. Look, the ice cream truck is coming. And in that moment, she looked at him and said, oh, I'm sorry, kid. I don't have any money. Bing. God's like, but I know who does. And so I, in that moment, like, I was like about 10 different excuses ran through my head. Oh, man, that's going to be super awkward. Oh, man, she's on the phone right now. I can't interrupt that. She's clearly a mess. And then talking to somebody, like, I don't want to get in the middle of a domestic violence situation. You know, I, like, I, this kid, maybe, maybe, he, maybe he doesn't need ice cream. You know, maybe that would totally upset his stomach. I don't know. Like, all these excuses rattled through. And then God's like, but I gave you that money. And so I got out of my car, walked over to him, kind of awkward. And I was like, hey, he wants some ice cream? Here you go. And they were like, wow, thank you for that. And I'm like, no problem. And like run back in my car and I was about to turn the engine on and like roll away. And I was like, God stopped me again. And he's like, you got invite cards in your car. Can you invite them to church? <sighs> That's gonna be really awkward, God. I just got back in my car. I don't wanna get back out there and talk to them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I get back out there and I hand them a card and they're like, wow, thank you so much. I have no idea what God's going to do with that, if anything. But what I do promise you is that when he calls you to go somewhere, even if it's crazy and you think it's beyond your ability, he will give you exactly what you need to accomplish his purpose. And he's never going to invite you to do something that he's never done on his own already for us. You know what Jesus did? When Jesus is saying, I'm homeless, he stepped out of the glory of heaven and the riches and the perfection of his kingdom and came and took the posture of a humble servant, even being willing to be nailed to the cross so that we and our sins would be completely erased and we would have a perfect future in relationship with the God of all the universe forever. He stepped out of everything and gave up everything so that we could have life with him. Jesus went all in so that we could have forgiveness in life. Man, if he did that for us, we can do a little of that for him. Where are you with Jesus today? Are you willing to go wherever and do whatever for him? Or are you holding back? What's it going to take for you to go all in with the king of the universe. Let's pray. Jesus, show us this week 
What's that one area in our life that we're holding back? I don't know what it is, but you know. For all my friends in the room today and those who are watching online, God, we need to hear from you. Show us, God. Show us where we're hedging our bets and where we're going halfway. Remind us of the gospel that you lost everything, God, to forgive us and wipe this slate clean. And I pray that there'd be one thing in our life, one area, one person, one environment that you'd show us, man, this is what I'm calling you to right now. This is the person that needs the love of Jesus, and I want to use you. Show us, God, what that looks like. And in that moment where you teach us and you make us spiritually sensitive to your voice and what you want to do in that moment, I pray that we would have the courage to not back down and not say no, not be resistant, not be awkwarded out, but to say yes and trust that your best is yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.